Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Good to see you. It's good to see some familiar faces. Hello, everybody watching online. Bob already shouted out all the states and even Kuwait over there. So thank y'all for tuning in, hanging out with us on this Sunday. We're so glad to have you here with us. Uh, my name is Michael Singer, and I'm usually at our Lake Norman campus, but I'm here with you today because I'm part of our teaching team. Uh, I'm the service pastor at Lake Norman, uh, so when Bob said, anybody been to Lake Norman? And I was about the only person going buck wild up here. That's because I'm there every weekend usually. Uh, but I'm part of our teaching team, and all that means is we have three physical locations, and we have different people that are actually there physically uh, teaching and preaching at those locations. So I'm really glad to be here. It's been a while since I've been at our central campus, so great to see familiar faces, good to see people that I have no clue who you are. Uh, I like meeting people that I don't know who they are, so thank you for being here with us. The main thing, really the only thing you need to know about me if you've never met me, is that um, I love my family. Uh, my family's the greatest thing in the world. Start with my wonderful wife who puts up with all this. Yes. We got, we got three kids, um, but there's nothing like, no matter what's going on in your day, around the world, uh, at work or whatever, you can walk home and feel peace in your own home. And so that's why I love my family so much. I love the vibe of our life. Jalea and I talk about that often, just the way our life vibes. It doesn't come easy. It's not always easy, but we just decided to work at it and to make it right. So uh, that's what we've done, and that's the favorite thing, my favorite thing about my life. And so you ain't gonna be able to tell me any different. I don't care what you say. I love my life, all right? <laughs> so, somebody said, sure. So anyway, so I, I'm not going to get, <laughs> I'm not going to get sidetracked. I will give a disclaimer. I drank a caramel frappuccino a minute ago. So if Millie Vanilli said blame it on the rain, I can blame it on the cappuccino. So, or the frappuccino, because I might get wild and loose up here. So it's, this is pretty cool, pretty cool day today. I want to show y'all something. Hopefully you've seen them, but out of all my 18 years of being at church here, this is one of my favorite uh, ideas that we've had is this wristband thing. Uh, it's very helpful. It helps you respect other people. It helps me respect you and not run up on you if you don't want me to run up on you. But green, you need to get one of these and keep it. Use it every week. Green, 
means, hey, I'm good to high five, give a hug, you can come up and talk, we can, we can be in each other's personal space, and that's fine. Yellow is, hey, I'm cool to talk, just keep your hands off of me. I, I'm not trying, you know, I want to like be able to keep some space. Uh, red means, you know what, I needed to get out of my house and be around some people, but I don't want to be that close to you, so don't come up right here close, spitting in my face, like keep your distance, we can wave from a distance, but I am here, and I'm here to be a part of physical location at church, and I felt like that was important, so that's what red means, so respect people and use these and wear these. The other thing is that this, uh, this weekend is the last weekend in our summer series, this series we've been in called You Asked For It. Uh, and so I'm wrapping it up here at Central, and then we're getting ready to kick off next month with a new series called The Cobra Effect. <laughs> we're going to do that every time we say it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Probably not. But The Cobra Effect, you don't want to miss that. There's a lot of good things uh, that we're going to talk about and we can learn as we walk through life uh, together. But let's wrap this series up today. This series is all about asking these questions. Uh, you've hopefully been able to enjoy some of these along the way. And I have a question, a final question we're gonna end with in this series today. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like this question like has a lot of controversy around it. There are some topics that we've talked about that they're kind of like, oh man, I can't believe they're gonna talk about that in church, that kind of stuff. And I don't really feel like that is the case for this. I also don't feel like that this topic or this question is one of those that has like two answers on either side. There's an answer on one side, an answer on another side that everybody thinks, and they kind of argue about that. So I don't really feel like it lands in some camp where there's a question or two specific answers that lead to people discussing or disagreeing about this. So here's the question. The question is, how do I find my purpose? How do I find my purpose. Now, I do believe this is a question that all of us, at least one time in our life, will ask, whether it's inside of our head, whether it's out loud, how do I find my purpose? Potentially a question we will often ask ourselves. I think it's probably one of the most popular questions that we will navigate and walk through in life. Now, I have a little substance to back up my thought about the fact that this is a very popular question because back in 2002, there was a guy who's a pastor by the name of Rick Warren. He wrote this book called Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life was so popular that it was on the New York Times bestseller list for nine weeks straight. He sold over 35 million copies of this book. And next to the Bible, it was the second most translated book in other languages throughout the world. That kind of tells me that this whole purpose thing, it seems like there's at least... 35 million people that are thinking about their purpose and engaging with that. So I believe it's a very popular question. You know, when we're looking and trying to find our purpose, it's very easy to look to our life. It's very easy to look at the, the qualities and attributes and, and, and achievements and maybe even the abilities that I have and go, you know what, I'm really good at this or I've achieved this and I'm gonna find my purpose because of that. A lot of us, we look at our work or our job, you know what, I've worked all these jobs, but now I finally have a career. I'm doing something that I'm passionate about, and now I'm going to find my purpose. We look at relationships. 
if I get the right people around me, the people that I'm, I enjoy life with, we have fun and we hang out and we enjoy things together, you know what, I'm going to find my purpose there. Some of us even go, man, if I could just be married, if I could just be married, if I could find that man or that woman, boy, hmm, I would find my purpose. You know what, I'm married, but if I have kids... You know, kids, I don't want them to go through all the struggles I went through. If I can pour into my kids and they turn out to be decent human beings, then I found my purpose. Some of us walk into a church building and we think, you know what? Man, if I can get to the fourth row, the third chair in, and I sit in that cushy seat during a service, my purpose is going to be right there. I'm going to find it in the comfiness of that chair. I'm going to find it during the music. I'm going to find it when Ian shares something. I'm going to find it during when Bob's up here doing tithe. I'm going to find my purpose when I show up at church. If I could just get my feelings together, if I could stop just being so sporadic and emotional and everything just bebopping back and forth, then maybe I'll find peace and I'll find my purpose. I love how Proverbs 19.21 speaks to purpose. And it says this, Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I have a ton of plans, stuff I want to do. But Proverbs reminds me that my plans are many, but it's the purpose of God that prevails. There was a young lady who gifted her father with an iPad. Now, her father was from a, an older generation, wasn't really keen or even curious in getting involved in all the new technology, but she felt like, you know what, if my dad has this, there are times where he can maybe, we can, we can FaceTime and he can see the kids because we're not able to be there all the time. So she was excited, gave him this gift of an iPad. She checked in on her dad a couple of days later after giving him the gift and said, hey, dad, how do you like the iPad? He goes, you know, it's pretty good. I like it. So like, she was floored, like amazed that he even had something good to say about it. So she was going to visit. And while she was at her house, at her father's house, she was very curious and just in anticipation waiting to see her father use the iPad. She was thrilled that he was using it. So she's sitting there watching him. Her dad goes into the kitchen. He takes some vegetables out, puts them on the counter. He grabs the, grabs the iPad, puts it down, puts the vegetables on the iPad, and starts cutting them up. <laughs> then he rinses the iPad, puts it in the dishwasher. <laughs> the lady was floored. She was like, Dad, that is not the purpose of the iPad. But don't we do the same thing? My life is an iPad. And I have my plans, and I want to chop vegetables on it. I want to cook meat on it. I want to do whatever I want to do it. But God has a purpose for my life, an intended purpose. And when I take my plans, then I misuse what my life was meant for. And I think that's why we wrestle with purpose and wanting to find our purpose because we really want to utilize our life in the way that God intended because he is the one that allows our purpose to prevail. Colossians gives us uh, the entry point or the origin of where purpose comes from. And it says this in Colossians chapter 1 Verse 16, it says, for everything, on the count of three, loud as you can, like you're hollering at people at the neighborhood across the street. If you're at home, I want you to yell like you're, you're hollering to your neighbors that live across the street. I want you to shout the word everything on the count of three. One, two, three. Everything. everything. All right, just in case we didn't know what everything meant, it goes on to say absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, 
Again, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him talking about God. You know, we begin to realize that our purpose originates with God. It begins us to get us to the beginning of the path that we need to take in finding our purpose. And the path to purpose begins with trust. The path to purpose begins with trust. Do I trust in me and my abilities to make sure everything turns out right? Do I trust in myself to try to fix the problems in my life? Do I trust in my own willpower, my own energy, my own effort to make things happen? Am I trusting for myself in my marriage? Am I trusting for myself to be the employee I need to be? Am I trusting myself to make the money, get the job, do what I need to do to take care of my family? Is all that on me or am I willing to trust God? Jeremiah talks about trust and gives us a great picture of what trust looks like when we begin to get on this path and start this path when we're seeking out our purpose. It says this in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Then it gives us a metaphor of those people that are blessed from trusting God. It says, they are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Everything outside doesn't bother them at all. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. When we decide to trust God in trying to find our purpose, we're like this tree. The tree has its roots way down in the water so that no matter what goes on around it, no matter what the temperature's like, no matter what the weather's like, leaves are green, it still produces fruit. When we decide to root ourselves in God and to stay rooted deep in Him, life will get crazy and life will look weird and things will hurt, things will be hard, but we will have green leaves and we'll produce something and we'll continue to really find what our purpose is. But it's, we have to first be rooted and trust that God's purpose will prevail. So the question, how do I find my purpose? Well, I have a statement I want to share with you. And I want this statement. I just want you to kind of take it with you, think about it, maybe allow it to adjust your perspective, maybe allow it, maybe allow it to help you and help me see purpose in a different way. Purpose is not something to be found Purpose is something to be given. Purpose is not something to be found. Where are you, purpose? I'm going to find you. It's not something to be found. Purpose is something to be given. You see, oftentimes we take our life and we look at the things going on in our life and we try to find the purpose there instead of understanding that God has given us our life and our purpose, the responsibility of that is for us to give purpose to the things that are a part of our life. We live uh, between, in our house, we live between a widow on one side and on the other side is an older couple, they're retired. Well, this older couple, great couple, uh, Mr. Lee and Ms. Ravonda, we're good friends with them. I noticed, have noticed over, the, over time that Mr. Lee was trying to push mow his grass and it became hard, so he had a company come mow at one time, but I noticed that he wasn't, his grass wasn't getting cut as normally as he did it. And I realized that Mr. Lee probably 
had just got to a place where he's older and physically trying to do the push more just was hard. And I also knew that he didn't have the finances to pay for somebody to do that. Um, he drives for Lyft and does enough to get by with, with their livelihood. But I knew he couldn't, didn't need to be paying anybody to do that. And so I decided that, you know what? These are the neighbors that you've placed in our life. We're going to give purpose to this moment. I realize that I have my oldest son who needs to learn how to cut grass. <laughs> but I realize I could give purpose to that because I could teach him to work hard and to, to do some physical labor and teach him how to cut grass so one day when he has his own yard, if he chooses to cut his own grass, he can do that. But I also realized there was an opportunity to teach him a principle that would create character in him. And the principle is this. When you help somebody, you don't always have to expect something in return. So we were going to cut Mr. Lee's grass just because we were his neighbor, and that's who God placed in our life, and we were going to give purpose to this moment. So we began to cut his grass and give purpose to that moment. Do you know when I was dating Jalay, it was real easy to give purpose as a boyfriend to that girl that I was trying to woo. I mean, I'd walk up the street in the snow at school to go see her. I would do everything. I was, probably, I was just romantic to the T. You know when I got married, it's a lot harder to keep that purpose. Many times God says, Michael, how come you're not giving purpose and still being romantic to your wife? How come you're not making time for her? How come you're not giving space in life to love her? It's not all about just providing, Michael. You need to be there for her. But we need, I have to give purpose to my marriage. That's my choice. It's my decision. It's up to me, no one else. Not up to her to force it. It's up to me to decide to give purpose to that. As a dad, I have to decide whether or not I'm going to give purpose to my kids. Am I going to give them quality and quantity time? Or am I just going to go about my life and just hope that they grow up and make it and get enough in them to get out the house? Now I've got to give purpose to those moments. You ever been walking through your day and you have all this stuff you got to do? And somebody stops you and says, hey, can I talk to you about this? And you know that you're about to not do seven or eight things you had planned to do. What do we do in that moment? Do we give purpose to that conversation? As we're sitting there talking to them and listening to them, do we realize that things aren't going to happen and that's okay if they don't happen? Do I give purpose to that moment when that person's talking to me? You see me standing on this platform communicating. I'm a pastor here at this church. I've been on staff, full-time staff for 15 years, been at this church for 18 years. Do you know how I got up here? I didn't ask, I can tell you that. <laughs> never did. Never pursued it. Never went to somebody and said, oh, man, I, love, I, I just love to be on staff one day. I'm going to work hard so they can see me and I can be on staff. Now, you know what I did? The second time I was at this church. The first time I walked out and said, this is where I'll be. The second time I was at this church, it was a mobile church set up in breakdown. They had all these chairs they had set up in a school gym. I knew that those chairs didn't stay in that gym. Nobody came to me. Nobody asked me. Nobody told me nothing. I got up. When service was over, I started packing up chairs and hanging them on the chair rack. When it was time to greet, I was greeting people. I gave purpose to it. I gave purpose to being in the parking lot. I gave purpose to serving and volunteering. Church did not become something to me until I gave more purpose to it than coming and sitting on a chair. And I honestly believe if you really want something from God in your life and you really want church to have an effect and God to use church, then I'm telling you the best and what I selfishly and, and just my own opinion, the only way to do that is to give purpose more than just coming in and sitting in the chairs. Start serving on one of the teams here. 
There's tons of places to serve. Get involved. It'll teach you what you're good at. It'll teach you what you're not good at. <laughs> Taught me a lot of not good at. Life groups. We're doing life groups. Give purpose to that. Give purpose to the moments and your connection to this church or whatever church you end up staying at. Just give purpose to it and do something more. These are things that I gave purpose to in my life. You know what I didn't give purpose to? My academics in college. <laughs> Flunked out. They kicked me out. I had to go back a few years later and finish. But I just didn't give purpose to studying and the discipline of study. And I paid the price for not giving purpose to that. I could sit back and go, oh, I wonder what I'm supposed to do when I get a job. And God's like, well, you need to give purpose to them grades or you ain't going to get no job. It's our choice. We decide whether or not we give purpose to things. There's a lady in the Bible that we're going to learn from today. It's a lady that I believe lived out this principle of not trying to find purpose, but she actually gave purpose. And her name is Ruth. She has an entire book dedicated to her in the Bible. It's four chapters long, and we're going to talk about Ruth today. But in order to get to find out where, where we are in this story and who Ruth is, let me set the scene a little bit for you. There's a husband and wife. The guy's name is Elimelech. The wife's name is Naomi. They have two sons. They are, they are called Ephrathites, meaning they are from the town of Ephrata. Now you're like, Michael, why are you telling me all these crazy big words that I'll never use again? I'm telling you because I'm not going to use them either, but it's important because Ephrata, that city, it was the ancient city name of a town that we might be a little more familiar with, Bethlehem. You know, baby swaddling clothes, Jesus, Bethlehem. So we're familiar with that. So you have Naomi Elimelech from Bethlehem with two sons. Bethlehem's going through a famine. So they're like, you know what? We got to move. We need to get somewhere. We can get some sustenance. So they went to the country nearby called Moab. Not long after they get there, Elimelech, the husband, dies. The two sons end up getting married. One of them marries a young lady by the name of Orpah. The other one marries the young lady that we're going to talk about today. He married Ruth. They're there for 10 years, and then both of Naomi's sons die. Now, you, we need to understand the cultural and societal context that we're in in the story. We are not reading this, and it's 2020 America, okay? So sometimes I have to get out of my head and put myself in the, the culture, the system of what's going on to really understand the power of what God is saying and doing in the story. So this is not 2020 America. So for Naomi as a woman to lose every male, all the patriarchs in her family, it was a devastating blow. Because for her as a female back then, not 2020 America, Back then, the way their society ran, the way that women would find their livelihood a lot of times was usually based on their connection to a father, a husband, or having sons for themselves. There's a lot of details in that that provide a lot of sustenance, a lot of peace, and a lot of help in life just from being connected to a man. She's lost all three. When this happens... Naomi hears back from Bethlehem that God is beginning to provide food for the people. The famine is starting to go away. So she says, I'm going back home. There's at least some family and people there. So I'm going back to a place I'm familiar with. And I know because all the men in my life are now past. She starts going. Her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, they're traveling with her. Finally, Naomi's like, wait, stop. This does not make sense, Ruth and Orpah. 
Y'all should not be going with me. You know what? Y'all need to go back to the land, to Moab, where you're from, because that's where the gods you serve, that's where your family is, and that's probably where you'll find another husband and you can live your life and you can be sustained in your life and have a good life. Everything on paper says, girls, it's time to go back to Moab and find you a man and start a new life over there. But they start crying and say, no, we're not going to leave you. There's no way we're leaving you, Naomi. And then Naomi says, all right, let me make this plain for y'all. Since you obviously don't understand, let's just say, girls, that I found a husband tomorrow and we got married. And right away, we had a baby. The baby's born, it's a little boy, and that boy grows up to a man. And then one of you are able to marry him. Because in that culture, a lot of the times, brothers would step in. When their brother died, they would step in and take on the wife to help with the system and to help provide and do all that. It was a protective kind of thing. So even if I had this son and you waited for him to grow up, do you know how old you'll be when he's grown up? Are you willing to wait that long? I mean, really, are you willing to wait that long? And here's where we pick up in Ruth, chapter 1. We get to see their response to what Naomi just laid out to them. Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. At this, they wept aloud again, talking about Ruth and Orpah. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said, peace out. That's all I needed to hear. I'm gone. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Why don't you just go back with her? But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth wasn't playing around and was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth said, Naomi, <laughs> I don't care if you go to the bathroom, baby. I'm going to be in the stall beside you. It does not matter. You can go to the store. I'm going to be there with you sitting in the cart if I need to be. I'm going to follow you if you go right. I'm going to follow you if you go left. There is nowhere you're going. Look, if I, even death, like she gets real about it, that there's nothing that is going to take me away from you. You see, what I see in that is Ruth is going, this is the hand I've been dealt, and I'm going to give purpose to this moment. I'm going to give purpose to my mother-in-law because that's who's been given to me. She has no one else, and I'm going to give purpose to this moment. I love that phrase in the beginning of that scripture. You know, it says, uh, Orpah said, bye, but it says, Ruth clung to her. You see, I believe that when we walk in purpose, we learn to cling to life. When we walk in purpose, we learn to cling to the life that is right there in front of us. On this property here at our central campus, before this building was here, when we purchased this property, there was a house. It's, it's to my right over there, uh, a few hundred yards to your left if you go outside. And that house, we decided that, you know what? We're paying for this land. Let's not pay lease somewhere else and pay for this land. We'll just renovate the house and create office space there. Well, the house has a nice basement in it that we refinished and made kind of this open space to have meetings because we were mobile. We didn't have a permanent building, so it finally gave us a good meeting space. One night, we're having a leaders meeting, and 
Um, we had a fun time, good meeting, and at the end of the meeting, people were just hanging out and talking, and it's getting pretty late, like around 11 o'clock, and I was going to lock up the buildings, make sure all the lights were off, so I closed everything down, the last one leaving. I hop in my vehicle, and I start to leave, and I notice these two young ladies in the parking lot talking. Now, I knew these two young ladies because when I first moved to Charlotte, I worked with a college ministry, and I remember they were college students when I was working with that ministry, but now they had graduated probably in their mid, mid, maybe late 20s, I think mid-20s. So I just thought I would say something jokingly. I roll my window down. I'm like, hey, no loitering on this property. And then they laughed, we laughed. And then one of the girls said, oh, we're just over here talking about how we wish we could find a man and get married and, and all that stuff. And I said, cool, let me explain something to you. I said, you see this talking y'all are doing out here? This conversation that y'all can hang out till 2 a.m. and it doesn't matter and have a good conversation? I said, I'm married. I can't just hang out with my boy until 2 a.m. without telling my wife where I am, what's going on, because she's a part of my life, not because my wife is like cracking the whip or anything or is super jealous or, or anything like that, but if I want a good marriage, then she needs to know where I am. I need to tell her. And I was trying to get these young ladies to understand that we have to appreciate what is in front of us in that moment. And I'll give you a little, little marriage advice and a marriage tip just on the side here while we're in this story. If you are hanging out with your boys or your girls the same amount of time and it looks exactly the same as married as you were before you were married, you're going to have problems. Don't say I didn't tell you, you're going to have problems. You need to hang out with your boys, you need to hang out with your girls. It needs to look a little bit different on the timetable. It should not look the same. But this moment, not only did I say this to them about enjoying what's in front of you, but God reiterated to me in that moment that, you know what? Yes, I probably didn't appreciate my singleness as much as I would have if I had, had purpose in that moment, but I love this lady and I'm going to give purpose to my marriage and I'm going to appreciate every moment we have, every moment with our kids. And that's the choice we have to make is to give purpose to those moments instead of just looking and trying to find and missing out on what God has placed in our hands right in that moment. The story goes on and Ruth and Naomi get back to Bethlehem. And Ruth comes up to Naomi and says, hey, look, we need to eat. We need some sustenance. I'm going to go to one of the fields in the area on somebody else's property. And it was, uh, it was normal for people to follow the people that were picking the weed or doing whatever and pick up the remains, the leftovers. She goes, I'm going to go do that. Naomi said, all right, well, you just need to be careful because not everybody that sees somebody on their land that shouldn't be on their land, they might not be nice. So... Ruth goes, and she starts what they call gleaning behind and picking up the leftovers. And the guy who owns the property, Boaz, shows up. Boaz is like, uh, who's that lady? I know all those other ladies out there, but who is that lady? She don't belong. And one of his servants comes and says, hey, master, I just want to tell you that this is a lady named Ruth. She's come back with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Well, he knows Naomi. And she's, they begin to tell Boaz all that Ruth did. She left everything to help her mother-in-law out. Boaz is highly impressed. He goes over to her and he says, hey, I know what you've done and what you've given up and how you've honored your mother-in-law. 
So you can stay and you can, you can always be with the women that come to my field. You're, you're a part of this now. You can do this. You can get whatever you need. He even gave her some extra stuff to take back home. So she gets home and she's telling, um, telling Naomi, hey, this guy was really nice. His name was Boaz. Naomi's like, Boaz? He's part of our family. He was, one, he was on my husband's side. He was one of the family members. She was like, this is great. We have somebody we can connect with. We can, we can sustain and have stuff for life. So Boaz gets more and more um, just respectful and, and just, just loves Ruth and has such a high respect for who she is and how she carries herself. Finally, one day, Naomi says, all right, here's what we're going to do, Ruth. Ruth, I want you to go get a good long shower, get cleaned up, girl. I want you to put on your best outfit, put some of that nice camel skin on, get your best, best set of flip-flops. Get the greatest. Don't get the Crocs. Get the flip-flops and don't wear socks with them. Just put your flip-flops on without socks. I want you to be nice. Get some perfume. I want you to smell good. Here's what's going to happen. Boaz is going to be working. He's going to go to the threshing floor for the wheat. He's going to work on that. Uh, when he gets done working, he's going to eat. He's going to drink something, and then he's going to lay down to sleep. It's just kind of a normal thing. When he lays down to sleep, Ruth, this is what Naomi says, when he lays down to sleep, I want you to uncover his feet and just lay at his feet while he's sleeping. Okay, she does this. Boaz is sitting there sleeping. He like wakes up, has a dream, and he looks down. And he's like, what are you doing here laying at my feet? This was an extreme sign of like respect and her desire and care towards him. Like that she wanted to be with him but was being very respectful and honoring of him by laying at his feet. Boaz was like, I'm so old. There's so many young cats out there that look handsome and good. Why are you laying at my feet? And she said, I'm laying at your feet because you are our guardian redeemer. Now, I'm going to tell you what that is in just a moment. And Boaz says, well, actually, I'm not the closest kin in your family. I would love to help you out and take care of you, but the first person who has dibs on doing this and helping y'all out is actually a different family member that's closer. So Boaz says, I'm going to talk to him though. He calls all these people around these witnesses. Boaz is smart. Boaz calls him around. He calls this guy and says, hey, here's the situation. Elimelech died. His wife is back. Are you willing to buy back the land and take over this family to take care of them? And the guy's like, you know what? I'll do that. Sure. And then Boaz held off on this information. Then he throws in and says, oh, by the way, yeah, uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, she's a Moab. She came back. You have to take care of her too. And the guy's like, ah, no, no, I didn't sign up for that. And he said, why don't you? You're next in line. You just handle it and take care of it. So Boaz did. Boaz ends up marrying Ruth, and they have a son together. And I want to pick up in Ruth chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. It says, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Talking about this son who was born. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain, your, uh, sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women, li the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, 
who was the father of David. I told you I was going to explain what a guardian redeemer is. A guardian redeemer in this day and time was someone that was a male who was very close to the family and was influential. Boaz was a very influential man. He's part of the, you know, during these times, families that lost a husband or anything like that, they could turn to their family for help. These guardian redeemers were there and intended to help them out because they were part of their family line. They would help protect them and make sure they didn't end up lost somewhere. Some of the main key responsibilities of a guardian redeemer, they were there to buy back family land that had been sold during a crisis. A guardian redeemer would buy back enslaved relatives. They would provide an heir for a dead brother. They would avenge the killing of a relative. They would care for relatives in difficult circumstances. A guardian redeemer was there to help come along and protect and clean up the mess that anyone in their family found themselves in. I love this word, redeem. It's a word that we hear in the Bible. It's a word that we talk about in church. It's a word that maybe Christians use, but it might be like, I don't know what that word is. I like to simply think of redeem like this. Redeem is returning something to its original purpose. Returning something to its original purpose. Ruth, she found purpose in the moment that she had. And it was because of Ruth and her giving purpose to that moment that she opened up Naomi's world and allowed her to live like she was originally intended to live even though she had lost so much. When you read and look at the lineage of Jesus, you look at his ancestors, you read about his family tree, Matthew and Luke both tell all of Jesus' ancestors, his lineage and his family tree. You know who it mentions in that? Mentions a guy named David. And then it mentions a guy who is David's father, Jesse. And then it mentions Jesse's father, Obed. And Matthew mentions Obed's father and mother, Boaz and Ruth. I find it very interesting that Ruth, who has gone back to Bethlehem, the same place that Jesus was born, in a moment of her giving purpose to her life, she provided freedom for Naomi and restored Naomi's life and helped and was a major component in redeeming her life. And she is in the lineage of Jesus, who is the one from Bethlehem who came who was given for our life, who left everything just like Ruth did for the sake of us, who sold everything, who came and pulled us back from captivity, and he gave us purpose to live, and he redeemed you and me, and he's offering us to be returned to the purpose that he has for us. This is what happens when we give purpose to our life. Ruth never set out to go, I want to be lineage of Jesus. She gave purpose to a moment, and look what God did by fulfilling her purpose in her life. That's what God has for you and me. God gives us purpose so that we don't have to find it. All we have to do is accept it and accept our life and accept him in our life for that purpose. Very familiar scripture that we just probably all go, oh, I know that scripture, blah, blah, blah. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave 
God had a purpose. His purpose was to be a right relationship with you and me. And what did he do to achieve that? He didn't try to find it or figure out. He simply gave so that we could have purpose. If you will, I want you to stand to your feet. And as you stand to your feet, I just want you to close your eyes. If you're watching uh, online and join us that way, I just invite you to close your eyes right where you are. I'm going to read something to you, and I just want you to hear these words. But this past year, I got a birthday card from my uh, aunt down in Louisiana. And the card said this. At the top, it was like a title. It said, Made by God. And then it began to list all these characteristics and descriptors. And so I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to these words. First one was uniquely designed. You are uniquely designed. You're made exactly the way God wanted you to be made. You're exactly who God wanted you to be. The next one was strategically gifted. You have a gift that I don't have. God wants you. God needs you. He desires you to use the very gift that he's given you. Unconditionally loved. We don't have to work for this relationship. God sent his son so that we could choose purpose in our life. And you're unconditionally loved. No matter what you have done or will do, that does not change God's doesn't change God's love for you. Exceptionally durable. Life gets hard, life gets tough. But when we're walking with God, he provides a hope. And we are very durable. We're way more durable than maybe we even we think. But especially when we rest in him. Crafted with quality. You're not just somebody that's here on this earth, but you're made so great, exactly to the T, such high quality that God crafted you with. Every aspect of who you are, he made you. Then the card said, what an awesome job God did when he made you. We don't need to find our purpose. We need to give purpose. And that starts by us accepting a God who is the author of our purpose. And if you're here today and you're wrestling with your purpose and maybe you haven't invited God in your life at all or maybe you've invited him in but you've kind of just decided to do things yourself, I just want to ask you a question that I want you to respond to if that's you. If you feel like you've never invited God into the purpose of your life or you're struggling with that and maybe have gotten off course and taken things in your own hands, I just want to ask you, do you want to give him that purpose back? Do you want to invite him in so you can give purpose to your life? If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand up right where you are. You can put it right back down. Just raise it up and say, God, I want your purpose. I see your hand. I see your hand, sir. Thank you. I see your hand, ma'am, on the left. Sir, on the left, thank you very much. You can put it back down. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I just want you to repeat this after me. Say it loud enough where you can hear it. Um, but just repeat after me if you raise your hand or if you have that relationship with God. If you're watching online, just say this prayer out loud. God, I love you. Thank you for showing your love for me by sending your son to die for me. I believe that today, and I accept that he was raised from the dead so I could have purpose in life. Thank you for the life that I have. And today, I walk out of here and I want to give purpose to every aspect of my life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Y'all give a hand clap for those people. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.